Well, good morning. Uh, great to see you. Lots going on uh, this week. Uh, several free resources that uh, we had the opportunity to be a part of this week at Not By Works Ministry, so I want to mention those if you haven't caught them already. And then uh, I want to mention an upcoming uh, new Bible study that we're going to do here at Plum Creek Chapel. So uh, let's open with a word of prayer, and then we'll uh, dive in here. Father, thank you for this new day. Thank you for just the uh, chance to gather together. Uh, that we get, uh, according to your word, at least weekly. And whenever the body of Christ comes together, we know that uh, it's a time of sweet fellowship, a time of encouragement, uh, building up the, the faith. And so, Lord, we pray that's what it would be today as, uh, as we gather together on the first day of the week and study your word and pray together, sing together, and lift up our hearts together. So we give you this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So... Uh, this was a busy week for uh, Not By Works uh, Ministries, and we had uh, two opportunities to be on with Brandon House on Mike Lindell TV. If you've not watched those, those are both linked up at notbyworks.org. Uh, the first one was Thursday night, and uh, that was a short, uh, maybe 10 or 12 minute uh, segment that he did, and we talked about uh, whether the Antichrist could possibly be alive today on the earth, and uh, there's a... Jewish uh, Messiah who's uh, claiming to be the Messiah and a lot of the rabbis are gathering around him and, and, and sort of uh, extolling him and, and lifting him up as the potential Messiah and there's a big buzz about that. So that was the context for, for that interview. And then uh, Friday we had a longer segment where we talked about UFOs uh, which are uh, we cover in the new book uh, Spirit of the Antichrist Volume 2. And so uh, Brandon was really fascinated by that uh, subject and uh, got to really talk quite a bit and kind of share my thoughts biblically on what that's all about. So you can watch those videos, both of them linked up at notbyworks.org. You can also listen to just the podcast audio only if that's something you uh, prefer. And then on, uh, let's see, this would have been Tuesday, uh, we did our monthly deal with Christian Underground News Network. Uh, or no, I'm sorry, this would have been Wednesday. This was with you. This was with Randy. And we talked about global surveillance and full-spectrum planetary control. Great dialogue. Uh, Randy's, this is the second time he's been on. He's going to come on a couple of, uh, he's going to come on regularly now, every week or two. And uh, if you don't know Randy, Randy, wave your hand. Okay, not too long. Not too long. We're not that kind of church. All right. Um, so, uh Anyway, uh, Randy's going to say a little bit more in our worship service about some of the things that we're doing here at the church in terms of preparedness, but Randy is uh, really an expert in a lot of uh, areas, and so we uh, have brought him on to the Not By Works podcast talking about different topics, uh, and one of those this week was global surveillance, full-spectrum planetary control. If you've not listened to that, that's a podcast only. You need to listen to it. Just some amazing things technology-wise coming down the pike. And then Tuesday, I was on with Christian Underground News Network. As you know, we now do that once a month, first Tuesday of the month. And uh, that was with Chris, uh, Christian Underground News Network, Kurt, Kurt Chamberlain. And we talked about Christians, the Luciferians, and the controlled election. So all of that's out there. That, again, is a podcast only. All of that's out there. Wherever you listen to podcasts, just search for Not By Works. But... The exciting thing that I wanted to mention this morning is this Wednesday, we're kicking back off our midweek study. You know, as I was praying about this, I've been really thinking about it for weeks now, knowing that we took this about eight to ten week segment off where we brought in a guest to speak 
and uh, do some evangelism training, and that was fantastic. I know many of you took advantage of that. But now um, we're ready to kick back off again our, our regular Wednesday night service, and uh, I was thinking, you know, what should we cover? You know, we've covered a lot over the last two and a half years. We've covered um, what in the world's going on. We did an eight-week series on that. We've covered Calvinism. We've covered uh, general thing, uh, things about salvation. I can't even remember the different topics we've done. But, you know, Sunday mornings in the 9 o'clock hour, we're talking about the end times. In the 10 o'clock hour, we're teaching through the book of Acts. So I thought, what can we do on Wednesday nights? Well, the Lord put on my heart about a week ago that, you know, we're giving a lot of attention, and rightly so, I believe, to Satan and his co-conspirators and all that he's doing to try to take over the world. So I thought, boy, it would be great and encouraging and uplifting to just go back and look at the Word of God and see everything that God reveals to us about himself in the Bible. So we're going to call it the greatness of God. Um, I'm going to draw from uh, some academic classes I've taught through the years on what's called theology proper. Theology proper is the study of God. So we're going to look at attributes of God. We're going to look at uh, key doctrines like the Trinity and uh, some of those things, but mainly just get to know the God we serve in all of his glory and power. So look forward to coming out on Wednesday nights. We will resume streaming that. So I know some of you may not be able to make it here midweek. If not, you can stream it. Of course, it will always be recorded, video and audio. Those of you that are live streaming this morning or from other parts of the country, you can look forward to kicking back off Wednesdays at 6 o'clock Mountain Time. Always a rich time. One of my favorite times of the week when, when we do our Wednesday night service because we have good discussion. It's in, kind of informal yet really a sweet time. So that starts up this Wednesday, November the 9th at 6 o'clock. Uh, don't forget the books, both books, Volume 2 and Volume 1 are out in the lobby. Uh, we've got plenty of both. If you know someone that could benefit from one of them, pick one up. Uh, and uh, those of you online can go to spiritoftheantichrist.org. So we've been talking about eternal rewards. And what I'd like to do, uh, we've spent a few weeks talking about uh, different rewardable behaviors. What I'd like to do starting today is talk about some of the different types of rewards in Scripture. Uh, so this is all about the judgment seat of Christ. Remember, uh, at some point in the future after the rapture, every believer in the present church age will appear before the judgment seat of Christ, not to determine whether we get into heaven, of course. That issue is already settled the moment we've trusted Christ and Him alone for salvation. But rather, it's a time of evaluation where we will be rewarded for our acts of faithfulness done during our present life in this present church age. So we talked about uh, different ways that believers can earn rewards. And again, we made a big distinction, and, and you need to really drill this down and get it clear in your mind, between the doctrine of salvation, which is a free gift, eternal life. It's only gained by faith alone in Christ alone. That's the means of receiving that free gift paid for by the blood of Christ. In contrast, we've got eternal rewards, which are not free. They're a wage that are earned by our good works. And so that's what we talked about in the previous weeks is different types of behaviors. We didn't get through all of them, but I've given you uh, the handout. Uh, if you don't have one or if you're listening online, and, and many of you have emailed me and I've sent it, but if you need one, just email me and I'll send you the PDF. Uh, but what we want to look at this morning now are what kinds of rewards will be distributed. You know, it's a lot more than you think when you really get down to it. Every Everybody understands that crowns, are a big reward, and we're going to start there, but there are actually many other tangible rewards that will be distributed to believers 
uh, on that day. And so let's start with, uh, with crowns. Uh, we're going to look at several passages. Let's start, for example, with James 1.12. So this is the earliest New Testament book, which I only mention that because it just shows you that early on in, ch- in church history, as God was unveiling the New Testament through the pen of these human authors in Greek, he chose to, uh, you know, ex- you know, uh, uh, reveal this uh, concept anyway of earned rewards. And so, in James, James, of course, here is the Lord's brother. He wrote this around 44 to 47 uh, A.D. So, if you remember, and we're going to talk about this in, in the worship hour, the church was birthed on 33 A.D. on the day of Pentecost, and so now we're what 11 to 12, 13 years later. Uh, and he says in James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. And I've talked before in here about how that word temptation there, perosmos, means trial. It's not necessarily meaning a temptation to do evil, but a difficult time. Uh, and he says, when he has been approved, meaning he's passed the test. So, you know, a trial comes upon you and you respond spiritually with maturity with faith, basically, that's the, the idea. Rather than throwing up your hands, getting angry, getting bitter, woe is me, you just say, Lord, I don't know why this is happening, I'm going to trust you. So when you've passed the test, you will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. So again, there are two reasons contextually why this crown of life here cannot be referring to eternal salvation. One of them is you got to pass the test to get it. And the other one is he conditions it on, on those who love him in the context that love for God is, con, is uh, predicated upon our proper reaction to, to life's trials when they come up. So this uh, word crown here, uh, there are two words for crown in the Greek New Testament. One of them, which is the one that's used here and it's used in all of the rewards uh, context, is stephanos. Stephanos. And it uh, refers to uh, literally a, like a wreath, but it's a, a victor's crown. It's a reward or prize for for finishing the race, for coming in first. Uh, so it's, if you look it up in a Greek dictionary, it'll say prize, reward, um, that kind of thing. Um, the other word for crown is the word diadem. In fact, and that's, that's a cognate in Greek, it's diadema, so they just transliterated the letters directly into English and we come up with the English word diadem. In fact, in uh, one case, it's actually translated diadem, at least in the New King James. It's only used in the book of Revelation. And diadem refers to a royal crown, a crown that one wears by virtue of his office. Now, what's interesting is the Greek word diadema is only used three times in the New Testament, all three in the book of Revelation. And... Who can I pick on today? How about Gary? I haven't picked on him since last Sunday. So, uh, how of the three times diadema is used in Scripture, how many times do you think it refers to Christ? The Lord only knows. The Lord only knows? Well, I know. Anybody want to hazard a guess? That's what I would think too, but actually, only one. Who does the... Who, the other two times diadema is used in Revelation, who is it referring to? Lord. Not Christ, but who's the Antichrist, exactly. So the Antichrist in Revelation 12 and 13 
is trying to take this crown of royalty to set himself up as the king of the world, but not until Revelation 19 when Christ comes back do we see the rightful owner of that crown. Uh, in fact, Revelation 19, in that wonderful passage, you, you hear me read it all the time. I've said many times everybody ought to read this passage at least once a month, but it's describing Christ's return. And it says, His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, diadema, diadems, right? Uh, and that's the return of Christ. So the reason I make that distinction between Stephanos and diadema is that they're, they're different types of crowns. One is something you earn, a prize, a reward. The other is something you get by virtue of who you are. And uh, obviously, they're not technical terms. Uh, there are other times in Greek literature where diadem is used of a king who's rightly the, sitting on a throne, and so he's wearing a diadem. Um, in the book of Revelation, twice the Antichrist is said to be wearing a diadem, because remember, for one seven-year period, he will rule the world. He will be the king of the world in a one-world political, religious, and economic system. And so, but uh, his reign obviously will be short-lived, uh, which we love to remind him when Christ comes back and rules forever and ever. Uh, in fact, if you flip over to, uh, let's see, Luke chapter 1, uh, since we're studying Acts, you know, Luke is the author of the gospel that bears his name as well as the historical account of the early church, the book of Acts. And so Luke is really part one of his two-part uh, work. And in Luke chapter 1, Luke is setting the stage for the birth of Messiah in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And this is one example of many throughout Scripture where the coming reign of Christ is referred to as eternal. So if you look in verse 30, uh, verse, let's just say verse 30, Gabriel says to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. Now listen, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Remember, Christ is the ultimate seed of David. Second Samuel 7 promised that David would have not just a, a physical seed in the sense of uh, Solomon, but an eternal seed, very much still physical, in the line of David that one day would take the throne and rule forever and ever. And that's what Luke is reiterating here, or Gabriel is reiterating here to Mary as Luke records. Notice verse 33. Uh, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So that's a comforting reminder in such a time as this, when uh, we think about the coming reign of Christ, of, you know, of the Antichrist, uh, we can be assured that it's going to be temporary, right? He's not going to reign forever. As bad as it'll be, and of course the, the church, the body of Christ, won't be here during that seven-year period. Uh, but uh, on the earth, it's going to be a time of unprecedented havoc uh, as the wrath of Satan is being poured out and the wrath of God is being poured out and all this spiritual battle that has been raging in the heavenlies spills over into the realm of the earth and so forth. And it's, you know, it's discouraging when you think about that, but think about it in terms of you know, the length. you got seven years versus eternity and that's a pretty big difference and so 
That's what we mean when we talk about diadem. And um, so, but here, if you look on the screen, crowns are promised, as we read in James 1.12, to believers who meet certain uh, conditions, one of which is passing the test, responding appropriately with spiritual maturity to a difficult trial in life. Now flip to 1 Peter chapter 5. We see another reference to uh, Stephanos, uh, uh, the, the concept of crowns, but this time it's talking specifically about uh, pastors, elders, shepherds, things like that, uh, people like that in the local church. I know we've looked at some of these verses in the previous weeks in the context of the behavior, but here we're looking at it in the context of the crown. So 1 Peter 5 verse 4 says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So we saw the reference in James to the crown of life. Here it's a crown of glory. These are just adjectives describing the crown. So it's a glorious crown. But who's you when he says you? Well, he, uh, if you pack up to verse uh, 2 uh, or verse 1, the elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly, not, uh, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory. So those elders leaders within the church that are helping to shepherd the flock who do so well will receive this crown, this prize or reward. Paul speaks of this in his first letter to the Corinthians, which he wrote from Ephesus, if you remember. We were studying, we're right about at that point in our study through the book of Acts. And uh, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul gives that famous section that is vastly misunderstood by many uh, Bible teachers, unfortunately, where Paul says, beginning in verse 24, do, not, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. So let's just stop there for a second. As we've been talking about the two buckets, one is a reward that you earn, the other is a free gift. If this is something that Paul is exhorting readers to run in such a way that you would obtain it, what bucket must this be in? Rewards, right? Because our eternal life is not conditioned upon how we live our life, how we run the race, metaphorically, right? Uh, he goes on in extending the metaphor here about a race. He says, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Uh, the, word, the second word crown is not actually in the text. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable is the idea. So, But the, the word crown there is Stephanos, and it's a reference to earning a reward. So let's just finish out this little section because this is where it gets unfortunate. Uh, he says, therefore, I, in terms of the way people interpret it, I mean, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, and thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. So he's using athletic metaphors here, a runner and a boxer, right? But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become 
disqualified. Now again, people naively read this verse in English and think disqualified. Oh, that must mean he goes to hell. If you're disqualified, you can't get into heaven. Well, this text says nothing about heaven and hell. It has no reference to eternity. The word disqualified, remember we just talked in James chapter 1 about, uh, how did he translate it? Approved. He says, you know, uh, when you have pa passed the test is the con uh, uh, is the concept, the idea, blessed are the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved, James 1.12. And I said that means pass the test is the word dokimos. Well, the word disqualified in 1 Corinthians 9.27 is the word adokimos. Same word, you just put an A in front of it or an alpha in Greek, and that's a, uh, uh, that negates what it's saying. We do the same thing in English. A prefix A is a negative, right? So if we said, you know, someone is an atheist, it means they believe there is no God, right? Theos is the Greek word for God. So atheist, no God. Agnostic is an A before the word gnosis or knowledge. An agnostic believes there's no knowledge of God. They're not necessarily denying the existence of God. They just said, you can't know, right? They're, I'm agnostic, right? So... Ah, dokimos means you didn't pass the test, and therefore you won't receive the crown. So 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27 and James 1, 12 actually complement one another perfectly well. One is a general statement about all believers and how we handle trials of life. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul is giving us a glimpse in his own life as an evangelist, but he says, look, I want to run the race in such a way to win the prize, because if I don't, I won't win the prize. I will be disqualified. I won't pass the test. Ah, dokimos. Make sense? So these are all crowns. And this is why it's so important uh, to really have your theology, you know, your foundational theology and understanding of salvation as a free gift and rewards as an earned prize. Because otherwise, passages like this will throw you. You know, you'll come to them and you'll think, oh, man, I hear Paul says, you know, if you don't live right, you're going to go to hell. Well, that's not what he says. Uh, so we got to let the text speak for itself. Remember when we did our series, that's another series we did midweek is how to read and understand the Bible. Um, when we did that, we talked about observation is the key. You know, what, what does the text actually say? Uh, let's look at another one. Second, speaking of Paul, 2 Timothy 4.8. So now, you know, he wrote the first letter to the Corinthians from Ephesus in 56. Now we're going to fast, fast forward 11 years and he's in a prison in 67 A.D. awaiting martyrdom, awaiting execution. And in his final letter, he once again gives us a glimpse into his own life and, and passions. And he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, well, let's pick it up in verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. What's he talking about there? His death, right? And by the way, notice as he did in 2 Corinthians, he refers to death as a departure, not a ceasing to exist. Because <laughs> for the believer, death is just the golden key that unlocks the riches of eternity. When a, when a believer dies, they go immediately to be in the presence of the Lord. So they're departing this earth and going to heaven. Paul says the same thing in one of his prison epistles. Uh, let's see if I can find it quickly, if not. Yeah, if Philippians chapter 1, uh, 
which he wrote five years earlier during his first Roman imprisonment, five years earlier from the Second Timothy that we're looking at. And he says uh, to the Philippians, uh, beginning in verse 19, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Talking here about his getting out of prison, which he did. Uh, According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now, even in these chains, in other words, uh, Christ will be glorified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Notice what he says. For if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two having a desire to what? Depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. So Paul, at the end of his life, now you fast forward five years, he's uh, in a jail cell awaiting martyrdom. He's writing his second letter to Timothy and his final letter overall in his life. Uh, And he says, to 2 Timothy 4, 6, I am already being poured out of the drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And, and remember in 1 Corinthians, 11 years earlier, he talked about how my desire is to, to finish the race, right? Yeah. So let's say you, get, you win the crown of righteousness. Do we know what that entails? Do we know what that brings with it? Is it just a crown that we wear around, or, or are we over somebody else? Or I think, so the question is, what does winning the crown of righteousness uh, in this, is that what he calls it here? Yeah, crown of righteousness. So we've seen crown of life, crown of glory, crown of righteousness. It's all just different ways to describe a crown. Um, and for all we know, they may be the same physical type of crown. They're just described differently based on you know, what you're doing. That's why I put them all in the same categories, just crowns as a reward. But the question, which is a good one, is what does that entail and what do we just get to wear the crown or does it come with some special uh, significance or position? I think uh, given what we see in other parts of Scripture about references to special positions of authority and specifically reigning with Christ, which we're going to get to next, uh, I think that it, you know you could make a correlation and connect them, but it seems to me, especially since some people have multiple crowns, they're just a something to signify special blessing. I mean, crowns. You know, it's like last night I was watching the World Series, and when the Astros won, you know, they're holding up this trophy. You know, well, that's a proud moment. You know, and I loved what the MVP, which was a rookie, Pena. Great guy, and, and 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 he got a trophy. And when they were in, when they were presenting him the MVP trophy, he said, "This is great, but it's that trophy over there that I care most about because this was a team effort and we won the World Series." You know, and so crowns are like trophies; they come with a certain, you know, recognition, I guess. But what's interesting, Paul, is if you go to and again, I'm gonna have to see if I can find it here. It's in Revelation four. Um, we are seen in verse 10. The 24 elders, by the way, represent the church. We talked about that way back earlier. There's several reasons I think we can say that with a degree of confidence. Um, 
So in verse 10, you see the church. It says, The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying. So that's not a one-time thing, by the way. The verb there is uh, in the present, like they continually are casting. So for all of eternity, we're going to be doing like Pena did last night. We're going to, we have this reward that we earned because we were faithful with the right heart attitude. But ultimately, we're going to be giving the glory to God, to Christ, and specifically to Christ, bowing down and you know, laying these crowns at his feet. Uh, yeah? Isn't there a reference somewhere to jewels in the question is, isn't there a reference to jewels in the crown? I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, I think I've heard people talking about you know, earning a jewel. I, off the top of my finger, uh, head, I don't know if that's a biblical reference or just a sort of a supposition. But that'd be a good thing for someone to research. Yeah. I know there's a reference, at least in, in a gospel song, to Satan's jewel crown. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's some good theology in a lot of gospel songs. Yeah. Um, there's some bad theology, too, but, <laughs> yeah. but there's some good theology. So, uh, so anyway, back to your point. All of these rewards relate to eternity in the kingdom, whether that's the first thousand-year millennial phase or even all of eternity. And, you know, we, we only get a glimpse of what that's going to be like. We, we see a few passages, specifically Revelation 21 and 22, and then some passages in the prophets of the Old Testament. But, uh, you know, we, we don't have all the details, and maybe we don't have as many details as we would like. This in Revelation 4 gives us a glimpse of one reason we're going to have these crowns is to, you know, even though they were given to us for acts of faithfulness, it allows us to point back to the true one who's worthy of praise. Um, but whether they relate, any of these crowns relate specifically to a particular position of authority, just not really sure. Um, so back to 2 Timothy 4, I just want to finish that passage let's see that's in the New Testament right Second Timothy 4 so I finished the race you know time of my departure I fought the good fight I finished the race kept the faith finally there is later for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will give to me on that day and not to me only but also to all who has loved his appearing I think loved his appearing there is just a general statement for our attitude toward Christ and His return, that we are living life today in light of seeing Christ face to face. It goes back to that 1 John 2, 28. Little children, that's us, abide in Him, that's Christ. Abide means to remain close to. So little children, remain close to Christ so that when He appears we will be confident and not ashamed before Him at His coming. So there is a motivation here, whether people are comfortable with that or not. I think our human mindset sometimes makes us chafe at the thought of serving Christ because of we get rewards. But that is a motivation that Paul clearly talks about in 1 Corinthians 9. The Bible gives all of these behaviors that are rewardable. Of course it's a motivation. Not the only motivation. Uh, in the back of my book, Getting the Gospel Wrong, I talk about... Uh, I think it's 25 or so uh, reasons for the believer to do good works, motivations for the believer to do good works. 
And there are many uh, right at the top of the list, and they're not necessarily in any order except maybe my own mindset, is gratitude for our salvation. Obviously, Christ died for our sins and took our place on the cross. That You should feel pretty grateful for that. And you know, if on earth you've had people do nice things for you, it, it, you, you can ex- relate to how that makes you motivated to help them and to be kind to them, right, in return. You know, setting an example for other people. Um, uh, lots of, you know, uh, the, the whole spiritual growth process. The more we know God, the more we trust Him, the more we trust Him, the more we obey Him, the more we obey Him, the more mature we get. And it makes it more likely for us to pass the test the next time. You know? Uh, so, a lot of motivations, but clearly one of them that makes the list is this motivation of receiving uh, rewards. And so, uh, anybody who loves His appearing. So, I, I feel like churches that as I've talked a lot about over the last few years, that don't ever talk about the end times and Bible prophecy. Therefore, they're not encouraging their flock to think in terms of the then and there. They're missing out on an opportunity to earn this reward. Because if you never think about the return of the Lord, how can you get a reward that's contingent upon loving His appearing? Yeah. Just wondering if this is a good analog for understanding. In in our world, the, what you're describing to me sounds really similar to uh, if you're in the military, you fought in a you know the whole army fought in a conflict, say World War Two, Vietnam, whichever. Everybody that fights in that battle that will receive at least one medal huh. you know, a, a, that you were you participated in the conflict. Whereas if you've done special uh, meritor- meritorious deeds during the conflict, you'll receive F, uh, another medal that you'll, you'll wear in in uh, close proximity to the primary medal. Yeah. That tells you, it basically is a visual way to tell your story of your achievements. Uh, but you, if you didn't fight in the war at all, you, or any war, you would not have that medal. But if you were yeah. in a group that fought the battle, would have at least the service medal for the battle and then then any other ones that go with. Yeah, so I think that is a great analogy. Um, the comment was in, in military uh, concept, you know, everyone who fights in a particular war gets a service medal, but then you also get additional medals based on accomplishments and, you know, like the Purple Heart or those or types of things. Your whole career, yeah, you know, yeah. Your so, career, yeah. yeah, I think, um, you know, to kind of continue the analogy when it comes to the family of God everybody that has by faith trusted in Christ and him alone for salvation becomes part of the family of God and for that they get the free gift of eternal life there is one condition which is receiving the gift but it's free like all gifts right so it's not forced upon you you don't have to wait till you die to find out oh am I in or out am I one of the lucky ones or not no you can receive the gift right now Whosoever will, let him come drink of the water of life. And you receive that by faith. When you trust in Jesus Christ as the only one with the power to forgive sin and give you life, and you say, Lord, I'm trusting you to forgive me and give me eternal life. In that instant, you become part of the family of God. And uh, that's just the mechanism of receiving it. That's not a work. Remember, Calvinists try to suggest that receiving a gift is a work. You know, 
You know, it's like someone gives you a brand new car. Here's the keys, and you you get the keys, and you say, "Wow, boy, that was hard. That was I worked hard to get that car. That was a lot of work taking those keys from your hand." You know, it's absurd. Receiving a gift is not a work in anybody's world except the Calvinist. Um, receiving a gift is simply the mechanism of getting a free gift. Just like we use our hands to get a physical gift, we use faith to get the spiritual gift. But then Luke 19 describes just what you're kind of talking about with your military analogy. It describes servants, all of whom get into the kingdom, but only some of whom actually get rewards or medals, to use your analogy, but everyone gets in. Uh, did you have a comment or question? No, who was it? Oh, you did. I'm sorry. I knew it was, some, I knew it was in this vicinity. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. He gets the glory. Amen. Yeah, we are. And I, I kind of picture in heaven someday, back to, to Paul's comment about the crowns and what kind of what purpose do they serve, as we're spending all of eternity, and I talk about this, by the way, in a message. I don't think I preached it here, but at a conference on uh, heaven. I forget what it was called. A glimpse of heaven, it was called. And I talk about that in that message about how we're going to have all of eternity to walk around, you know, see people, go visit people. We can visit Paul. We can visit Peter. We can visit Joshua. We can hear the stories. And when we see people with crowns, we, we, we might say, oh, tell me your story. You know, we see Paul. We see these crowns. Tell me your story. Oh, well, once I was left for dead outside. Once I was in prison. You know, once I was dragged out, you know, did this and that. And, you know, so it's, it's going to be... It's ultimately the telling of the story is the praise report to God, right? It's giving glory to God as we tell our story. And we need to remember that because we're not in heaven yet. Uh, but, you know, we are, we are in a family of believers and we, we want to encourage one another by telling stories. And when we do that, we need to remember as we tell our story who gets the glory. You know, it's not about me. I've heard a lot of testimonies, I'm sure we all have. I've probably given some in my day, where the star of the testimony is me. <laughs> and that's never a good idea. The star of the testimony, uh, you know, and the hero of all of Bible prophecy, by the way, is Jesus Christ. So, great point. So, it's not a prideful thing. It's not a prideful thing. Nope, it's not a pride. Now, you can, there is a, a righteous pride that we have as believers. Let me see. That's in Galatians. I think it's Galatians. Hold on. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why they put Romans before Galatians because Galatians came first. Um, but then nobody asked me. So Galatians. Um, let's see. Uh, it, I may not be able to put my hands on it, but it's where it says. Oh, I think I, I remember. It's in uh, where it says. Then you will have. Rejoicing, yeah, there it is. Uh, Galatians six four. It's in the context of helping a brother who's overtaken in a trespass, restoring him with gentleness, bearing one another's burdens. Uh, we're going to talk about that today in in Acts, and then in verse four it says, "But le let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, 
and not another. So there's there's a private type of you know, you know I'm not proud in a negative way or in a stealing glory from God way, but it's like you're proud when you overcome a trial, or you're proud when you privately you know you don't want to toot your own horn because as Jesus says, then you've got your reward. But you can in between you and the Lord, you can sit back and say. You know, Lord, yeah, through your strength and in the power of the Spirit, I was able to do this. So there's that kind of good pride, if you want to call it that. But uh, no, you don't ever want to have pride uh, in yourself when you're, you know, sharing your story and, and those types of things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when you, he said a good analogy is when you're a little boy and your dad does something really cool, you're like, wow, that's my dad. You know, oh, lots of those memories, lots of those memories. I, one that just popped into my mind now that you say that uh, is uh, when I don't know how old I was. Let's see, we lived in Connecticut, so I was probably fourth, third or fourth grade uh, that year. And uh, some high school, you know, uh, ruffians came around Halloween night and were egging houses on our neighborhood. And I'll never forget when they came to our house, my dad, barefooted, ran out the door, angry as could be, chased those hoodlums all the way up the hill. And he never told us what happened after that. But I tell you, I wouldn't have wanted to been one of those hoodlums, you know. So I don't know if he caught him or not. But my dad was fat, is fat. He was a sprinter and he's, he's a, a track athlete. So he was fast. But yeah, I'm thinking, Go get them, Dad. You, you show those kids, you know. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's ultimately we're going to be, as we read about in Revelation 4, presenting our crowns as a testimony to Christ, not just once and then we don't wear it anymore, but just continually throughout heaven as a reflection of Him. Yeah. You got a follow-up? Yeah. 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 That's another good analogy, the swan dive. Although my dad was more of a belly flop guy. But uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, someone else. Did you have a question? Yeah. I, d- I liked your point. I think it can be underemphasized is admonishing the body to to remind to give that your your idea of giving God praise is the crown by telling the testimony or giving God credit. The situations he does it i think he, he gives that crown that it, it's desirable because it's the emphasis off yourself yes he gives it to us and that that's why we're called to be together and to share one of the burdens and to get praise reports yep. that, that alone edifies glorifies him absolutely yeah no it's uh it builds the body up it it uh but you know when you get right down to it personal fame it's so empty anyway that's why you look at, from the world's perspective, all the people that achieve fame, you know, the athletes, the uh, Hollywood actors, the politicians. It's hard to find one that's not steeped in you know, immorality and just problems and their life's a wreck because it's very difficult to maintain a proper attitude toward the Lord, our Savior, and achieve fame at the same time. And I think 
that's really the takeaway from a lot of that we've been talking about about crowns this morning is just to remember, um, you know, we wouldn't have the crowns if it weren't for the body of Christ. I mean, uh, you know, later on Paul's going to talk about how some of the converts in his ministry are his crown. You are our crown, our joy, right? Um, and, well, he wouldn't have those if, he, if it weren't for the body, right? So, yeah, good good points. Great stuff this morning. Yeah. Just a quick comment um, about righteous pride. Would a better characterization be relief? Pride, relief. What do you mean? Elaborate you, on that. Thank you, Lord, for letting me win that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I gratitude. Sir, sure, thank you, Lord, for you know, letting me win that one. That, that's gratitude. That you let me do that. Yeah, yeah. I know that it wasn't all me that did it. So. Yeah, and I think it, it's not just overcoming trials. That was one of the ones we talked about because of James 1.12. But, you know, even in... You know, it's hard to explain because we're so steeped in pride as part of our flesh and our fallen nature. But you know what I'm talking about. When in the power of the Spirit, under the unction of the Spirit you feel led to do something. Maybe it's a phone call or a gift or uh, whatever it might be. And it's truly of the Lord and you're not seeking any, self, you know, any acclaim. In fact, nobody maybe even knows that you've done that. And then as you're walking away from that experience, driving away, whatever, you're just, you have that warm feeling of the Lord used me. Satisfaction. Yeah, satisfaction of that you're in where the Lord wants you, that the Lord's using you. And I think that's kind of what Paul was talking about to the Galatians, that rejoicing in yourself alone. And, uh, and of course, it's hard not to go tell other people, you know, guess what I just did, you know, but then, then that spoils it, right? Yeah. So, yeah, in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul is basically saying, look, if you want to, if you want to keep a account or keep score based on earthly measures, I'm at the top of that list, buddy. You know, if you think being Jewish and holding these offices and being you know, part of the seed of Abraham and all that, if you think that's all that, well, then I'll, I'll argue foolishly that way. And look at my resume, you know. But his point is, that's not what matters. Your resume is not what matters. It's who you are in Christ. So good point. All right, so let's uh, take a break. Uh, we talked about crowns. Lots more that we can kind of dive into in the coming weeks uh, here at the 9 o'clock hour in terms of types of rewards that all kind of help us understand our Lord a little better and understand our spiritual walk a little bit better. So we'll, we'll finish here, and then we'll come back together at 10 o'clock for our worship service. Those of you live streaming, uh, usually it's about 10.25 to 10.35 Mountain Time when the live stream kicks back up.